This episode is brought to you by Perfect Keto. Perfect Keto keto-friendly snacks and supplements are packed with quality ingredients that provide sustained energy to fuel your body and mind. Using strictly high-quality ingredients and no garbage means you're going to skip any unnecessary spikes to your blood sugar and you'll feel great for hours. I think Perfect Keto has the highest quality supplements for the ketogenic diet and I use their ketones for both physical and cognitive performance. They also have amazing MCT powder that you can add to your coffee as well as collagen powder that's great for the skin. Perfect Keto has a limited time offer for you. If you buy one of their products, you can get one for 40% off with the code SEAM40. So head over to perfectketo.com forward slash SEAM40 and let's get on with the show. And we're here with Seam Land, author, speaker, content creator, and returning guest to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Seam, welcome back. Hey, Sean. I'm uh, glad to be back here and excited to talk with you again. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to start the way that I like to start with people who are involved in nutrition and performance, especially. Uh, so maybe you knew this was coming. What time is it where you are and what have you put into your body? Yeah, well, uh, last time we talked, I said, I think I said like nothing besides coffee or something. Uh, but uh, this time uh, it's also uh, like in the evening at 7 p.m. here. And uh, so far I've consumed, like I still had some coffee uh, at, at noon, uh, but in the coffee I mixed some uh, glycine and uh, trimethylglycine as well, uh, which is which is a really good kind of a natural uh, sweetener as well as a good a methyl methyl donor and generally a very uh, kind of anti-inflammatory um, amino acid that, that that doesn't actually have like a insulin insulinogenic spike. It actually lowers your blood sugar. So <laughs> I mixed that with some coffee a little bit, and uh, then I also had like a protein shake during my workout like an hour ago and the main kind of idea is that i'll i'll be working out fasted but uh just because i'm having this small protein shake i'm also able to mitigate uh the the uh the catabolic or the muscle muscle catabolism that occurs during a workout especially if you're doing it fasted so i'm still able to maintain a semi-fasted state while being able to you know perform at the workout and also promote uh, muscle growth with it. So like, it's, it's sort of a hack that I call, it's called like uh, targeted intermittent fasting. So basically fasting all throughout the day and uh, leveraging the benefits of autophagy and, and whatnot. And when you are working out, you're getting this uh, protein shake that essentially helps you to uh, prevent the muscle, muscle catabolism and it promotes additional muscle growth uh, while still being able to you know, be like in a semi-fast state. So that's kind of my go-to secret for doing a one meal a day and still be, being able to build the muscle with it. Wow. So I want to get this straight. So you fasted all day, a little coffee with, with those additions, and then at 6 o'clock at night, you decide to work out fasted. But what, like while you're working out, you're consuming – the protein shake for this targeted metabolic fasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically what I do, and uh, it's it's yeah like a good combination for one meal a day. So uh, and especially for people who want to build uh, strength as well as a muscle mass. So uh, it's it's always let's say eating more frequently would be beneficial for muscle growth, uh, but it's kind of a hassle. So I I would much rather do it with a, like a 
easier way where I'm still able to eat once a day and still able to build muscle with it. So it's kind of a kind of a little shortcut or a little biohack. Mm. So we got to know what's in the what's in the protein shake. I imagine that there's a thousand things in it. No, not really. Like uh, it's a regular whey protein. Uh, it tends to be the it's, it tends to be uh, with all the essential amino acids as well as um, kind of uh, stimulates the anabolic switches like mTOR and IGF-1 as well. So that's why I tend to use it. So then that's your that's your that's your OMAD is 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 a protein shake while you're working out and then you won't eat you won't eat for the rest of the day again. Uh, no, like I'll, I'll probably have like a meal an actual post workout meal uh, after this podcast. So I'm still eating. Uh, so if I were to be having only the protein shake, then that would be like too little calories, and uh, that would like unless I would want to maybe like lose weight or something, then then that would be an option. But uh, currently I'm in this semi like lean lean gains uh, phase where I'm just gradually progressing in the workouts and uh, gradually trying to build muscle while you know still maintaining leanness and uh, burning some body fat as well. Yeah. Well, it's working uh, because, you know, uh, I see I see your posts, bro. I see your posts and you, you are leaning out nicely. And, uh, well, I got to know what, what's for dinner then. So you've had the protein shake during your workout that's targeted. Um, you're going to have a bunch of like cake and ice cream and stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> what, like, but, to, uh, what's for dinner? Uh, well, tonight I'm having like some uh, salmon and uh, next to the salmon I'll have maybe like a few eggs and uh, some uh, salad, some vegetables. So th- I'm still eating like a semi-ketogenic diet, uh, but I do also have like on some days, for for example, a few, a few days ago I had some, um, actually I had some um, uh, beef kidneys and uh, with, with some beetroot, uh, some carrots, and uh, some uh, fruit so that was like a more low fat higher carb day as opposed to like a low carb higher fat day so i do cycle between them and uh, kind of maintain this sort of a metabolic uh, flexibility yeah yeah that's great so when you do that when you lump together like is do you are you following like a really strict schedule do you have carby days where you have fruit and and tubers or is it every kind of every other day or do you just sort of listen to your body uh, yeah, I usually tend to listen to my body and also like what's more available. So uh, like what's for leftovers uh, or uh, yeah, like what, what what's kind of uh, what did I have recently and uh, what did I haven't. But I usually try to like at a minimum, I would aim for like a once a week where I would have like this uh, higher carb day and uh, the rest of the days I tend to gravitate more towards. Uh, I still like the low carb keto because uh, it's more satiating. It's very convenient you know, suppresses appetite and yeah, like the mental power as well as the cognition is also slightly better in my opinion. So I naturally, I do tend to gravitate more towards like uh, just eating <laughs> steak and eggs and uh, vegetables. Uh, but I do every once in a while, like some, you know, fruit, some berries and uh, tubers and those sort of things. Yeah. I, I find that, so I follow a pretty similar approach, um, you know, fasting until two or three o'clock in the afternoon um, I work out before, um, my, I, before I break my fast and I don't know if you know, have you heard of the X3 bar? Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. I have it. I have it. Uh, it's awesome. 
Woohoo, <laughs> man. So that's all I do. I don't I don't I don't really do any other sort of workout and my body has 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 shifted and my physique has improved immensely. Um mm. and and I want to get your take on I don't know if you've seen the product that Dr. the Dr. Jayquish has uh, least, uh, uh, released which is called Fortigen, which is an amino amino acid profile that you take at night. Um F O R T A G E N Fortigen and the two scoops that you take is an equivalent of 50 grams of protein because I try mm. to hit that uh, one gram of protein per one pound body weight every day because mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to build lean muscle as well. Um, but I do from time to time like want a handful of blueberries and, or, or some right. strawberries or something. And I find that, that it works best for me because I do get a little bit foggy after I, after I have fruit and tubers. So I, I tend to do that much later in the evening kind of right mm-hmm. before bed. Um, is that, is that a smart plan to, if I'm going to do the carbs, if like today is going to be like a, a carb day again, not cake, mm-hmm. <laughs> not cake, <laughs> a handful of bitter blueberries. Um, is it smarter to, to, to eat that carb in your opinion, like later in the day, later in the night? Uh, yeah, I do think so. Like, uh, it's actually, you know, the common sense or the argument most people make is that, you're, you know, moving around and you're active during the daytime, so to say that, and that, that's that's supposed to be the time where you eat your calories as well as uh, carbs. So you would be like burn them off instead of storing them for, for fat, uh, which does make sense from like the circadian aspect. And there is some research that shows that you are more insulin sensitive uh, at, you know, the morning hours. But at the same time, it, it, you have to kind of also counter in or take into account the your own subjective uh, situation and your context. So, for example, if you work out in the evening, then you're going to be the most insulin sensitive after that workout, regardless of the time of when you had the workout. You know, the uh, muscle contractions as well as exercise, it depletes your uh, muscle glycogen and it also makes you more insulin sensitive by activating the... Um, one of the glucose uh, transporters called uh, GLUT4. So uh, even after workout, even if it's like in the evening and you work out maybe like an hour before eating those carbs, you would be still very insulin sensitive because you worked out, you depleted the muscle glycogen and your body would just, it doesn't even need additional insulin into the cells because a GLUT4 works independent of insulin. So, uh, you know, that's sort of kind of a caveat that people have to keep in mind, especially in research, that you are always most sensible to any kind of nutrients while you're fasting as well as after a workout. So your body would kind of absorb it really efficiently. So it doesn't even matter that you would have those carbs later in the day. And I personally think that it's if you do have some carbs in the evening, then it's going to be just also better for like relaxation and sleep. Because like I said, you may feel like slightly drowsy or you know, tired in a good in a good way because your you, your body gonna release itself from the stress, and that's another like one of the misconceptions about insulin as well as carbs. Like insulin and carbs are actually very anti-stress, or they're gonna lower cortisol just because they kind of refill your muscle glycogen as well as liver glycogen, and uh, your uh, kind of phys- physiology or your energy status is very, very much regulated by uh, your liver glycogen. So if your liver glycogen is depleted, then that's in a way it does promote some ketone body production and put you into ketosis but at the same time your body can also perceive it as a stressor 
and especially if you do it like chronically and if you do it like combined with a bunch of high intensity exercise and uh, those and caffeine and those things so uh, just refilling your muscle glycogen as well as liver glycogen with some carbs in the evening is a is a great strategy for just boosting relaxation lowering stress lowering cortisol and kind of getting you out of this fight or flight response that some people may find themselves in and actually putting yourself to sleep so uh, i do notice that on some days if i do have some carbs then i'll just sleep pretty good and uh, yeah kind of lowers all of this kind of uh, build up of tension that may build that may accumulate if you're just uh, like chronically in this ketotic state whether they're measuring their ketones or not it takes people a while to get into that state where they're not hungry or hangry or agitated <laughs> from ketosis uh, yeah. and and for those people who have still not tried it who have still not experimented with intermittent fasting and a a more ketogenic sort of approach to your diet um kicking the sugar and kicking the carbs is really hard especially for the first like week mm. or two and for mm. some people it's super i mean like you're agitated you're foggy you're not sleeping well you know i i know that you are a resource for so many people um you know since you appeared on the podcast in episode 191 and uh, a lot's changed. Like you've, you've written a book, you're writing a second book, you you've done a lot of presentations and, and you're, you're a resource for so many people. Like what would you tell people who are interested in beginning, you know, sort of intermittent fasting and in a more ketogenic way of, of eating? What, what would you tell them th things that they can, they should look out for or pay attention to? Yeah, you did allude to it a little bit in a way that if the person hasn't tried it before and they have like no uh, like experience with it, then they tend to experience some of the negative uh, side effects like you know tiredness, hang hangriness, lethargy, and sugar craving, and those things. Those are all kind of the signs that your body is like metabolically metabolically inflexible, like it's stuck in the sugar burning mode, and it has to be constantly eating like high carb foods as well as having frequent snacks in order to keep its own blood sugar uh, in a, in balance so to say so whenever you do experience a drop in blood sugar then you're going to get hungry and you're going to try to raise it back up with a like a bagel or a donut or something so that's like just inflexibility in your metabolism because naturally humans should be able to just start burning their own body fat with ease and tap into its own body fat stores and uh, burn that for energy because you know we all carry like thousands and thousands of calories with us all the time so it doesn't really make sense both from a physiological perspective as well as from a like evolutionary perspective so you know hunter gatherers they don't have access to the fridge and they don't have like uh, these uh, sort of protein bars with them or some juice they they constantly have to have a larger meal and go through the entire day basically with minimal like close to minimal to eating anything at all they're basically like doing a little bit of fasting as well as eating like some some form of a ketogenic diet and the way they're gonna get away with it is by just tapping into their own body fat stores and burning that for energy and the way you build this sort of flexibility is to gonna first go through a period where you do go on a like a low carb keto diet and you do intermittent fasting as a way to kind of teach your body to start burning its own body fat stores again because like the modern modern society has conditioned our bodies just to lose this ability and in order to regain it you have to kind of just go through some sort of a period of adaptation and uh, 
the the way I describe it is like I describe it in in the three stages of the ketogenic diet. So the first stage is kind of uh, going on a low carb keto diet in order to build metabolic flexibility and uh, regain this fat adaptation to kind of go in a fat burning mode. And uh, that usually takes for most people that's going to take, you know, for, for someone who hasn't ever done a keto diet or hasn't never done any form of intermittent fasting, then for them it's going to take maybe like, uh, like healthy people can uh, get into it almost like within a week. But uh, like more metabolically inflexible people like diabetics or um, obese people, then for them, then it, it, it may take like up to a few weeks, two to three weeks, four weeks even up to for some people. Uh, but you can definitely accelerate it much faster with going on a, like a lo- longer fast and fasting for like two to three days in a way because fasting is literally you're just burning but fat and of course you do burn some uh, glucose as well but your body will um, make the shift much faster because it's you know more like a severe energy depletion uh, and uh, then the second phase is uh, the keto adaptation phase which uh, which is a uh, similar like it's it's uh, almost uh, parallel to being in ketosis but they're somewhat different so being in ketosis is just the metabolic state with uh, elevated ketones in your blood and that that can happen while you're fasting or that can also happen while you're eating a keto diet that is low carb and the body just responds by producing ketones but the keto adaptation keto adaptation itself just in the way i define it is just like the ability to use fat and ketones as a fuel source so you don't necessarily have to be in ketosis to be fat adapted uh, you know, a hunter-gatherer who eats, let's say, they find a, a beehive, they're going to eat that honey, they're going to kick themselves out of ketosis, they're going to burn some sugar, but maybe like within within the next few hours or maybe by the next day, they're back in ketosis because they're somewhat keto-adapted. They're, uh, the majority of the time, they're still doing uh, like a keto diet in a way that they're still being low-carb, but every once in a while, they they kick themselves out of ketosis, but they're still able to go back into it relatively fast. So that's like the second uh, stage. And the third stage is the metabolic flexibility stage. And this means that your body is also able to burn both ketones as well as uh, carbs for fuel. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a much more, let's say, uh, balanced way of looking at it as well as more flexible way of looking at it. Because, you know, if you go all in, on a with ketosis then you're gonna you're ending yourself you find yourself back in the same spot that you were in the beginning like you're burning only fat and ketones and you're losing the ability to burn sugar and carbs which is like self-defeating in a way because you're you're putting yourself in this corner again mm. that you're uh, kind of inflexible with your metabolism and whenever you do accidentally get kicked out of ketosis by maybe eating a piece of potato or, or something like that or a piece of cake or whatever it is, then you're going to feel awful just because you're losing your fat adaptation to a certain extent and you're experiencing this brain fog. Your body is in, in some sort of like an energy crisis in, in the short term. And though that, that's why the metabolic flexibility is supposed to overcome this. You, you just burn fat whenever you can. And whenever you do eat carbs, then you burn those carbs. You use them for whatever purpose it may be, like maybe refilling your muscle glycogen. But you also go back into burning fat whenever those uh, those carbs run out. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going on this dual fuel, and your body is supposed to be in this like 
burns whatever fuel it has access to and uh, is also able to maintain health as well as performance with it. So that's that's actually like the ultimate goal for most people, in my opinion, that should be like they don't maybe they don't want to be on a keto diet for the rest of life uh, or they may not need to do it either. So, you know, the the end goal for most people is just like, uh, you know, fat loss, better health, better blood biomarkers and uh, just mental well-being and uh, freedom from cravings just abundant energy all those things you can achieve that with a keto diet but you can also achieve that by eating carbs every once in a while and you don't necessarily have to kind of make sacrifices mm-hmm. as long as you build enough fat adaptation in your body and as well as you kind of condition yourself to use carbs in different situations and the two main ways you build metabolic flexibility is uh uh, kind of one of them is the cyclical keto diet, which means that you like the one that I do. Basically, I eat keto most of the time, but on some days I eat some carbs. Uh, and the second way is uh, the targeted keto diet, which basically means that you eat keto and you consume like a small amount of carbs during your workout. Maybe maybe like similar to the protein shake that I do, but with carbs. And uh, that's essentially going to give you some like quick energy, and you're gonna burn that you're gonna burn that glucose. Uh, during the workout and after the workout, you're gonna dip back into ketosis. So there's no real difference in uh, your metabolic profile. You're still you're still burning those carbs for energy, but you're also gonna be able to burn ketones. And yeah, like whichever one suits for you depends on your goals. You're definitely like your level of physical activity because I wouldn't recommend like a diabetic <laughs> to do some sort of a, like a carb up if they can't handle it. And uh, yeah, like uh, what's the person's goals and how often, what kind of foods do they actually like to eat? Because uh, I think it's it's a mistake to kind of, I don't know, villainize all carbs or villainize all sources of food without really appreciating or without understanding the context and without knowing uh, when is the best time to use them and uh, like how your body is going to respond because they all work. Like you, people can survive on any kind of diet and they can survive on a low fat, high carb diet. And they can survive on a low-carb, high-fat diet, but the kind of differentiation is like uh, what kind of other factors that they take into account and uh, what's their overall diet look like. Yeah, that's an excellent breakdown of it. And I had not really thought of it until you described it, but if you're going to do the targeted metabolic fasting and you want to have some carbs, carbs, you want to boost from the carbs so that you can perform your workout better so that you can be more, um, have more energy from, from the glucose. Usually, usually, yeah, usually the carbs are best suited for maybe like some sort of a, like event, actual event, like maybe like marathon runners tend to use it as well as like high intensity exercise, maybe like, uh, you know, uh, CrossFit or uh, this very high glycolytic sport where you're using a bunch of glycogen and you can't really fully meet that demand with just ketones and fat. Right. So for someone who who may be, you know, uh, let's just take somebody who's had a fairly normal Western diet and they're maybe 20 or 30 pounds overweight, not, not obese, but heavy-ish and soft, and mm-hmm. they're they're interested in in getting into this and starting into this you know i i I come from the opinion that now is the time right now in this moment in history (laughs) is the time to like really start experimenting you have the time you're home you're 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 forcibly at home 
and mm-hmm. and this is maybe a secondary effect, but if you want to save money, you should eat less food. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, for, as a, as a, as a father and you know head of the household, you know, I I could really easily triple the amount of food that I consume. I could really eat way more than I do, but I'm actually saving my household money. I'm feeling better and performing at a higher level by eating less food, by doing intermittent fasting, and I've been doing it for a while. But for someone who's, you know, maybe 20, 20 pounds, 30 pounds overweight, and they're just getting into this, you know, based on the the process that you described, which is these three phases, how long, of course, it's different for everybody, but how long does do each of those phases typically take if someone's being really diligent and maybe they kick it off with like a three-day fast and they just go, you know, mm. go for it big time? You know, typically mm-hmm. based on your experience, uh, how, how, long, how long do those three fe- phases take? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary between people. And uh, yeah, maybe for instance, uh, if, if you were to start off with uh, like a three-day fast, then you would get into ketosis usually by day on like a high carb diet, and uh, but at the same time, like on a if you start off from a low carb diet, then uh, the uh, the transition process would be faster, and you would get into ketosis also much faster. And at that point, once you are in ketosis, then uh, generally it's still a good idea to go eat like an actual low carb keto diet for about you know one to two weeks in my opinion just to kind of change the body's metabolic pathways and kind of get used to it in a way you don't want to be in this kind of periphery all the time where you're uh, not fully in ketosis and you're not getting enough carbs from your food either and you're feeling like this lethargy your brain is in a coma because you're not getting the sugar and and such so the kind of the periphery is is the bad spot but ultimately once you do let's say, uh, let's see, once you've been on a low carb keto diet for two weeks, and then you start to implement some carbs, then maybe like the first two to three times you do have them, you may feel slightly sluggish the next day. But the kind of end goal is to be in the spot where you don't feel a difference when you do eat carbs. Like at the moment, uh, like for example, in, in the past, I used to do like a keto diet completely with no carbs for maybe like two years straight. And uh, whenever I would have like maybe some carbs, like a piece of potato in a soup or, <laughs> or something like that, then I would notice it immediately in a way that my body kind of feels the blood sugar start to rising. And that's, that's like a sign of some inflexibility and some like it's, 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 it's this uh, physiological insulin resistance in a way that your body becomes uh, resistant to insulin just because it doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're gonna you haven't conditioned your body to use it, so it's kind of down regulates the insulin, and, and it manifests itself as a mild physiological insulin resistance, or a much better term would be like glucose intolerance, or uh, you're just sparing glucose, and you don't kind of you you haven't used your like sugar sugar burning en- engine in a long time, but nowadays, after having done it you know uh, back and forth all the time. Uh, I don't notice any difference when I do have carbs because my body just, okay, we have the glucose coming in, we're going to release the insulin, uh, we're going to shuttle it away, and, and, uh, and I'm also not like overeating carbs in massive amounts, so I'm not, eat, I'm not even eating more carbs than my body can handle in a given moment. Like uh, I'm also always kind of basing it around my exercise and how much carbs do I burn. So like if I were to be on a rest day, if I haven't moved around any, anything, then I would maybe like notice a difference from that. But thanks to being like physically active, 
thanks to doing resistance training, then uh, my body just kind of uses the glucose all the time really efficiently. And uh, kinda, it, it, it may take some time to reach this point, but generally if you do everything like, if your intention is to achieve this metabolic flexibility off the get-go, then uh, you know even within a month you can probably be in the state where you're having you know regular uh, you know carbohydrate uh, refeeds as well as uh, being in ketosis and eating a low carb keto diet um, the other other parts of the time. Okay, okay. That I think that helps put it into context a little bit. You know, if you're if you're diligent about it, it can take a month to get into this place where you have achieved that metabolic flexibility so that you're, you're not, you're not, your, your world is not destroyed from a bite of potato. And yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, as far, as far as life is lifestyle is concerned, I think that's where, like you mentioned earlier, that's where we all want to be. We all want to be lean and strong and clear minded. And we also want to eat, be able to eat some carbs sometimes without it totally wrecking our day or our week. And, mm. You know, from a life lifestyle perspective, you know, most of us are not endurance athletes. Most of us are not, you know, um, fitness competitors. So in that way, we can get the benefits of 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 increasing our metabolic flexibility over this period of this this sort of introductory period where we establish better baselines, we establish better you know nutritional rhythms and habits. You know what I've what I found for myself is that my my palate actually changes, and mm-hmm. and and my appetite changes from time to time when I when I'm being really diligent when I'm not, and I think that's the same for most people. Is like the the drive. If people knew that if they went through the process that you're talking about, that takes you know the three phases, and, and then after a month, they realize that they don't crave that bagel anymore they don't think about it it's not occupying their mind they're not sitting there thinking oh my god i want pizza so bad all (laughs) i want to eat is pizza i can't wait till tonight so i can eat pizza and have 10 beers like it changes it does it does actually shift and it's not as it's not as um it's not as difficult as i think people think it is because their mind their mind is conditioned (laughs) that uh that bagels and pizza are the only things that can make them feel good right yeah, and that's like another one of the pitfalls that uh, you may fall into on a, like a very restrictive diet. Um, you know, although I would like, I, I I do think that I'm I'm like a, this kind of a guy who can just be on a very disciplined, strict diet for the rest of my life with yeah. no 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 cheats or anything. I I can do it. I've done it in the past, but at the same time, like uh, I've I've realized that it's also about just uh, you know sometimes the more disciplined approach or the more having more self-control can also manifest itself in a way that, okay, I'm able to eat only like this one piece of uh, cake or right. this one slice of, slice of one slice of cake, one slice of donut, one slice of apple without going into this like massive binge <laughs> that some people may find themselves in. Like if you are, let's say on a low carb, low sugar keto diet, let's say for a few months and then you, and then you do have like some birthday cake and then you kind of 
explode or like you super compensate for it because you start to crave this uh you haven't had like this sugar in a long while long time and it's almost like the survival response because like if a hunter gatherer also comes across a beehive they've been coming from the winter they haven't had carbs for several months and they have like this beehive yeah then they of course they're gonna eat the entire beehive so <laughs> that's that's like a normal physiological response right and uh you can avoid that. You can avoid this sort of a uh, massive yo-yo dieting and uh, binge and fast cycles if you are able to pr- practice moderation and if you can just okay, I'm gonna eat maybe like this one piece of cake, and uh, I'm gonna put it away afterwards. I'm feeling satisfied. I'm not craving additional, uh, and I'm not gonna kind of super compensate for it. I'm not gonna be stressed out or I'm not gonna get anxious about it. Um, yeah. uh, because because you know, although let's say some foods are healthier than others, like. Of course, a grass-fed steak is, in my opinion, healthier than a donut. <laughs> you know, even if you <laughs> That's a, fair, a, a single a, yeah, a, sure. a single a single bite of a donut or a single donut or a single piece of cake isn't gonna destroy your world or it's not gonna give you diabetes instantly. Right. Uh, as long as you're not overeating and as long as you're practicing still some moderation and uh, kind of uh, having some form of self-control right. and this metaphoric flexibility can just teach you how to practice more self-control yeah. and uh, moderation in general. You know, I, I, I thought about it the other day. Um, you know, I have been, I've been focused, uh, I'm diligent about my diet and I've been, I mean, I've been hammering really consistently on X, on the X3 bar and my physique is, is really shifting. I'm really happy with, with the way that my body looks maybe for the first time ever, you know, like I was sort of a fat kid growing up and then I played, uh, I played college soccer and I was still sort of skinny fat when I was playing when I was playing college soccer, um, and now my my body is shifting into the into the physique that I want. Um, and my kids made cookies like yes, like <laughs> like three days ago. You know, my wife and my kids hung out and made cookies together, and they were so excited to share their cookies with me. Like we made these chocolate chip cookies, daddy have one. And then for a moment there, I was like, no, there's no effing way I'm going <laughs> to eat a chocolate chip cookie right now. I've been so good. But then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? It is going to taste amazing. It's important for my kids to like share the product that they right. helped create. Now it probably would have been better if my wife would have made like keto cookies or something, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but those are, those aren't as good. <laughs> so, <laughs> What I what I think about and what I know is a big deal for people is to not beat yourself up about it because if you're going to have a cookie or two in my case, if you're going to have a couple of cookies and you've otherwise been really diligent about your diet, have the cookie but don't freak out about it. Don't psych yourself out right. about the fact that you're going to eat this cookie and it's going to destroy your world <laughs> because if you do and you get yourself into an elevated state and you're like – really stressed out and your cortisol spikes and your adrenaline spikes because you're feeling really guilty and stressed about the fact that you're eating this cookie and all is lost. Oh God, I'm gonna be crying mm-hmm. while you're eating a cookie. Then it, then it is going to be way worse for you than if you just like sit and enjoy and have the cookie and then go back to business as usual the next day. I think it's, I think it's a big thing for people. Yeah, definitely, and uh, it's also yeah, it's just just determined by uh, your mindset and uh, right. your perspective on the thing. So, like, uh, yeah, of course, it can be, it can be like a harmful thing for you if you turn it, if you overreact, and uh, if you do become stressed out. And certainly, like, there are some rules. I think some people should keep in mind when it comes to those things. So, like, generally, like you said, 
if it's a keto cookie or if it's like a whole foods based type of cookie like um those things are yeah generally healthier than like the processed <laughs> garbage that you get from the store like mm. you know the the actual staple junk food like mcdonald's and those things yeah they're generally not healthy and they're not going to be even if you know yeah like in moderation they can be some sometimes okay but i would say that even if you are having like a carb refeed then you should still try to stick to whole foods as as, as much as possible and uh not do this sort of a hyper palatable combo which is like the you know the fats and carbs together uh which is kind of the standard american diet you're just right. eating these high, high hyper palatable uh, foods with with a high calorie content as well. That's 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 the kind of biggest culprit that you combine the uh, carbs and fats that you get from like a donut, which is a, a, the kind of the perfect example. But you can make a healthy donut that is, let's say, lower in fat or lower in carbs, depending on the situation, and you can still get like this uh, enjoyable uh, taste experience. But it's not going to be uh, as damaging for you as a, like a conventional donut. So yeah, yeah, some 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 key points can be still kept in mind. So whenever I am having my carb days, I I make sure that the fat content on those days would be lower, so that I wouldn't uh, like the combination of carbs and fats is uh, is implicated in like insulin resistance and type two diabetes as well, because your body can all all only like burn one fuel at a given moment, and if you combine them together then they kind of tend to compete with mm -hmm. each other and uh, that causes like metabolic dysregulation, uh, which is called in physiology is called the Randall cycle. So uh, that's essentially like the kind of one of the biggest rules that I tend to stick to is to, if I'm eating a particular food group, then I'm not going to combine them together. I'm not going to combine fats and carbs. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll have either a low carb, high fat or the opposite, low fat, high carb. And generally the protein is always... Uh, r relatively high because it's just the, it's just great uh, for body composition, satiety, and yeah, just just feeling a fullness. So th mm. that's what I what I do. Yeah, I've never heard to referred. I know that I know that high carb and high fat is about the worst thing that you can do for yourself, and combine that with you know uh, vegetable oils, and you're just like <laughs> yeah, really just sitting there punching yourself in the face over and over. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. I've never heard to it referred to as a Randall effect. Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk a little bit about hormesis. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about, um, thermogenesis. And I also want to get some previews on where, what the second book is about. So, um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, um, well, you take, you take it away. What, what, I know that you're working. I know that you're working really hard on, on book number two. It would be really great to hear a little bit about where your focus is and why your focus on focus is on this now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like uh, the kind of the current climate of the of the world or the situation in the world just made me think about you know uh, these sorts of things that are always bound to happen. Like humans have always been uh, evolving under different like environmental stressors. Uh, harsh conditions and uh, whatnot, and nut nutrition, stress, fasting, all those things, they're kind of a part of the human evolution. And uh, in the modern world, we kind of, we become somewhat soft or we become under-adapted to a lot of those things uh, that uh, we take or that we should be able to endure. Like, for, for example, fasting is a great example of it, being able to burn our fat, that's an example. And uh, other examples would be just 
changes in temperature like we should be able to endure like cold and heat and uh, humidity and those things uh, but we don't really we're in this very constant state of or this uh, constant equilibrium we don't experience the ups and downs we're always in this very stable state like the the he central heating is always on we always have access to food uh, we always have like very predictable schedules those things we don't have the variability uh, but the problem is that we kind of that that just kind of makes us lose our ability to adapt and uh, the the ability to adapt is just one of the kind of cr critical uh, parts to the survival of any species as well as well as like the evolution of any species like the world itself isn't going to care <laughs> about uh, you having a cozy bed or you having a stable salary or you uh, having access to a fridge or something it doesn't really care and uh, the only thing you can do against it is the kind of control the things that you can control which is your own thoughts and actions and that kind of made me want to do this sort of a like a guidebook or a handbook or a manual for just general that stress adaptation as a phenomenon and you mentioned it already that stress adaptation can be called like hormesis uh, or this sort of a like a biphasic dose response to a particular stressor or, or a toxin that initially causes uh, like some uh, damage to the body and injury, but uh, after after afterwards the body is going to adapt to it and get stronger. So exercise is just like the prime example of hormesis. You're doing, let's say, doing the workout. You're breaking down your muscle fibers. You're causing damage, but after you you know eat, after you sleep, after you recover, those muscles get stronger, and uh, you are at like a higher higher ceiling afterwards uh, at least that's how it's supposed to work and other examples of hormesis again are like fasting ketosis uh, taking a sauna cold exposure ice baths cold showers and uh, even like hypoxia and uh, you know and other let's say less conventional forms of hormesis are like plant compounds that you get from uh, different uh, herbs and spices as well as like emf uh, radiation and uh, those sort of things. So they all have like some sort of a hormetic effect on the body that uh, can increase the body's overall uh, like resilience against that particular stressor as well as the general uh, stress adaptation to any kind of stressor. So some of them overlap, some of them don't. Some of them are more like realm or localized, but uh, they do tend to have like a generalized aspect to it as well. Hmm. Interesting the takeaway for me is we have to be able to be stressed and bounce back. And that was actually what builds resiliency physically. It's what builds resiliency yeah. mentally too. How do you adapt to change? Yeah. You know, right now we are all under stress. We are all reacting to this response <laughs> globally and we, we, it's unavoidable. And, uh, it's unavoid. It's you cannot you cannot avoid the the, the sort of global ramifications because now there are economic factors. So even if you don't watch the news, you're exposed to the 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 the, the result of this um, pandemic <laughs> response. You can yeah. tell how I feel about it. Um, <laughs> but but as you dis as you describe it, these sorts of stressors that can come in the form of EMFs or workouts or fasting uh, are all part of exercising that part of our physiology and our and our mental mental capacity to actually build up resilience and say and be stronger um 
so you're building so you're creating sort of like a guidebook you say yeah like uh it's it's just gonna include uh all uh, all of these different fields of stress adaptation like i i cover fasting i cover uh, hot and cold exercise and uh, emfs and also like from the mental mental side i cover like stoicism in particular because i think that's a, like a prime example of uh, like a sort of a mindset that is like uh, able to endure stress as well as uh, bounce back from it faster in a way that you're not really affected by these ups and downs. You're uh, kind of expecting them to happen and uh, at the same time you're also um, not affected by those things in a negative way and uh, it's, it's, a, it's like a mental stress adaptation because a lot of these things tend to be purely psychological and uh, having like this sort of a stronger psychological resilience is uh, generally very like associated with also like just longevity and well-being so people who are more stressed out whatever whatever the case may be or the cause like maybe they're stressed out because of work or anxiety or depression or whatever it is they it uh, tends to also be like a very bad for your health like uh, too much stress is associated with you know cardiovascular disease uh, arthritis uh, sleeping problems insomnia depression and just the overall mortality so it's like not really something that you want to be in <laughs> all the time mm -hmm. and uh, you know and it's also very subjective like what is stressful for someone like i can i can endure quite a lot of work stress i can endure quite a lot of uh, fasting and exercise but if i were to put those same stressors in the same amounts to like someone else uh, i don't know like my grandmother <laughs> or someone then <laughs> They, they're not going to be able to endure it uh, as well. And they're going to have like much more negative consequences. So uh, because their body, first of all, isn't that adapted to it. And secondly, yeah, like the stressor is just overbearing for their system. And But you can condition yourself to endure it in larger amounts. You can condition yourself to yeah. endure higher amounts of stress with fewer negative side effects. And uh, a good example of that would be, let's say, a lot of people think that uh, ketosis is stressful for you because uh, your body needs glucose or your brain especially needs to run on glucose, uh, which is true to a certain extent that your, your brain does need a certain amount of glucose every day, but uh, it can cover the majority of that demand with ketones as, as well as even like fat, fat and uh, other substrates. So uh, like alternatives to glucose are fatty acids themselves as well as lactate that can be converted into glucose by gluconeogenesis, which the brain can then use. So uh, if a person hasn't conditioned their body to run on fat, then for them it may be difficult. And then they may experience like hypoglycemia, they may experience lethargy, and they may even like pass out because their brain is running low on sugar. Mm. But if someone, you know, if a, if a, a keto-adapted person or someone who is eating a keto diet, then for them then the kind of the threshold for those negative symptoms is much higher. So, uh, you know, your your blood sugar can drop a lot lower on keto uh, before it starts to manifest with negative signs. Like you're not going to feel lethargic or you're not going to faint even if your blood sugar is like at 50 milligrams per deciliter because your your brain is using ke the uh, ketones as well as the fat that, you, that it gets from its own body fat. Whereas someone who is, let's say, eating the standard diet, then they may even like start to feel dizzy at a blood sugar level of like 70 milligrams per deciliter. So they're kind of the ceiling for them is much lower because their body is only able to burn sugar. And whenever they do run out of that sugar, 
then it becomes a stressor and it uh, causes damage to the, the brain, especially, as well as the general body, and they're going to react negatively. But if you are keto-adapted, then your kind of stress adaptation is much higher and you can endure much uh, larger quantities of like uh, glucose deprivation before you start showing negative symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, man. The clarity at which you speak, seem it's uh, so nice, man. <laughs> I could, I could, I, I think I'm, I'm not alone in saying I could just sit and listen to you talk about this stuff all day, which is why it's so important for me to bring you back. Uh, I want to get your take on a couple of different things. Um, where do you stand, or have you experienced or experimented with uh, the carnivore diet? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I do think I'm actually like a, I do like the carnivore diet, uh, so to say that it's a. Uh, very simple diet and it can be very convenient for a lot of people and it does promote like keto adaptation you are you are achieving a lot of the benefits of the keto diet like you have stable energy you have stable blood sugar and you have like fat adaptation you can basically you you, you can also fast for several days without feeling hungry and you don't crash at all basically because you're very fat adapted and uh, in a way a carnivore diet can also be you can also achieve this metabolic flexibility with with a solely carnivore diet uh, in terms of the metabolic flexibility between glucose and ketones. Like uh, if you are eating like a higher protein carnivore diet, then some of that protein will inevitably be converted into uh, glucose and you still you can still refill glycogen and you can still burn sugar as well as fat. So in a way, the carnivore diet is like a dual fuel type of diet similar to the ones that we talked earlier. So that that's a really good... Uh, maybe, and it's also like, let's say, more suitable for people who have blood sugar issues, like a diabetic or insulin resistant person, uh, versus compared to like, like a diabetic, they may may not be able to have like any carbs at all because they're gonna just uh, experience these negative side effects. Uh, but on a carnivore diet, you have this dual fuel, and uh, yes, yeah, generally like, at least what I've heard from people, they can do it for like years <laughs> without really uh kind of thinking about quitting I, i've done it like for a few um like a few days up to a, like week in in some instances but i haven't done it like longer than that because i, I think that like i don't need to do it like i don't have any autoimmune conditions mm-hmm. i don't have insulin resistance uh, i don't have like carb addiction or i don't have something else that kind of forces me to be on a like a very strict diet uh i can get let's say uh, I can get all the results from the carnivore diet by doing this sort of a metabolic flexibility diet or doing even like a keto diet. So uh, I don't need to do it. Uh, with it being said, like, yeah, the only shortcoming of the carnivore diet may be metabolic flexibility in terms of being able to tolerate different food groups. So uh, especially in the context of uh, this xenohormesis, which means that your, uh, you know, plants contain this uh slightly toxic compounds um, and they do have like a slight stressful effect on the body and uh, let's say if you haven't kind of if you've been on a carnivore diet all the time for years then your body may lose its ability to tolerate those compounds and uh, again maybe pushing pushes pushes yourself into this corner where you have to kind of get out of more carefully Uh, so again like if a person is willing to do that then I, I don't think they're harming themselves in any way. But at the same time, if they would ever want to eat, again, like some plants or some other hormetic compounds, then it's going to be like an issue in a way. Like, uh, again, they, they may lose the ability to tolerate those uh, compounds in uh, small amounts. So um, a lot of the times, 
when people see that broccoli <laughs> destroyed their life or uh, <laughs> it, it gave them like a stomach aches or something, then it usually happens like either they overconsume those things in very large amounts or they like they ate them in raw or or the third thing is that they actually do have like some uh, autoimmune issues and they're allergic to a particular food or something else uh, but the, like the, let's say 80% of the people don't have those issues and uh, maybe like 20% or like I look at it like in a bell, bell curve uh, scenario that on uh, both ends of the spectrum you have the vegan diet and the carnivore diet and you know they maybe cover 10% of the population but the rest of the population Da is gonna do best on a, like a mixed diet, uh, so to say that they don't need to be on a strict restrictive diet, and they may not want to do it either. And uh, yeah, like there isn't like uh, I think they're not gonna miss out on uh, on it either if they do achieve like a balanced diet in a way that they combine both food groups. But yeah, generally like the the carnivore diet is great uh, if it if it works for you and if you need to do it, so to say. I think it's gonna be probably the best diet for treating any kind of autoimmune, disease, autoimmune conditions. But at the same time, I think you should be wary of, if you don't have any autoimmune conditions, you don't have any allergies or something, yeah. then you may, you may potentially give yourself those allergies if you go on a, like a very restrictive diet because you know, uh, your, your body loses the ability to uh, metabolize different t- types of compounds. Like for example, gluten intolerance, uh, some a lot like so, some people react negatively to gluten, but if you avoid gluten all the time, then you're gonna react even worse afterwards. So to say, your body loses its ability to tolerate gluten because you're avoiding it all the time. So that's why like a microdosing some gluten <laughs> every once in a while is like a it's like a it's like a good strategy for just maintaining this robustness and uh, flexibility. So yeah, like I myself wouldn't be on a like a strict carnivore diet just because I don't want to develop any like autoimmunity towards plant compounds because uh i don't need to do it and i think it's gonna be yeah like pushing yourself into this sort of a corner yeah <laughs> have you ever said microdosing glucose before yeah like have microdosing you? gluten 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 that's right that's right <laughs> yeah. have you said that before have you used that term microdosing gluten yeah yeah i've used it quite often yeah <laughs> <laughs> i never have thought of that honestly but you're right. You know, if you if if you don't want to be totally wrecked because uh, you know there was something in the food that you ate, or you were careless one day and you and you had some, and it just like destroys your gut and sends you out of whack yeah. and makes you crazy, then yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Yeah. And, and and the problem is also that yeah, like if you do exper- if you do uh, wreck your gut because of having this gluten accidentally, then you think it's the gluten. And then you then you start blaming the gluten and saying, "Oh, there you have it. Those uh, grains are so harmful for you because I yeah. react every time. Every time I have them, I react. Well, if you were to have them more often, maybe then you wouldn't react negatively because your totally. body would be able to tolerate it. So uh, again, like the same with carbs. Like I can't eat carbs because, uh, like I'll you know experience all these negative symptoms. Like I'll crash and I'll uh, gain water weight and I'll just get a massive amount of cravings uh, well yeah it's a super compensation effect like if you pull if you pull the string on one end too hard then the other end is gonna have to give in eventually so it's a, like a constant balancing act and uh, if you avoid a particular food all the time then yeah like your body 
does uh, downregulate its uh, ability to tolerate it, uh, versus if you were to have it in, in the diet at least every once in a while in some shape or form, then uh, it's not going to be an issue. I had, I usually have like maybe some like grains like once a month or something. I'll have like a, maybe a slice of bread. Uh, but but it's like uh, sourdough bread and those sort of things, and uh, I'll maybe have like on on like these special occasions, like it's a Christmas party or a birthday, then I'll have like some regular cake or something like that. With and I'm not gonna react, I'm not gonna break out, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get bloated, I'm not gonna get uh, fatigued the next day because yeah, I'm just burning it for energy and I'm not I'm not experiencing any of these negative side effects. Awesome. Oh man, I love that. I really do. I, I think that gives people hope to understand that they can can and should be reasonable and introduce things that will, you know, to keep them balanced yeah. so that you can keep that flexibility. Yeah. And a, lot of it is, and a lot of it also like uh, transgenerational. So, you know, although let's say a person says, I am willing to be on a, like a very restrictive low carb keto or carnivore diet. Uh, that may have like some unpredictable uh, consequences on, let's say, for your offspring. So if you, ha- mm-hmm. if you, a lot of your uh, autoimmunity is determined by the mother. So uh, and what kind of foods do they eat? So if you are on a very uh, low allergenic diet, like you've never eaten or you know you never eat, I don't know, peanuts or fish or eggs or uh, gluten for that matter, then. Uh, that's also going to have an effect on your child's uh, ability to tolerate those things. So that's why, like lactose, lactose intolerance, and those things also manifest. Right. Uh, people, people tend to, like, uh, they don't develop the right enzymes and uh, digestive processes for for those nutrients, and uh, that can be all avoided. And that doesn't have to be that way. So you know, although you may want to be on a low carb keto diet for the rest of life, maybe your child doesn't, <laughs> or maybe yeah. the world changes. <laughs> maybe the world changes you know, drastically in 10 years that we need to be on this like slop diet <laughs> or whatever it is <laughs> that we don't have access to the like, quality nutrition. Of course, I don't want it to happen, but yeah. you know, who, you never knows like in an apocalypse scenario, maybe you are forced to eat, uh, these, uh, cool. packages, military, yeah. military, military packages with, uh, processed foods and such. Yeah. So you never know. And oh, again, man. like you have to, th- you have to kind of think of it, you know, like, a almost like in a survival scenario because uh, the world doesn't really care that you want to be on this pristine diat clean like a orthorexic orthorexic diet <laughs> the world doesn't care and you and uh, only evolution is uh, going to uh, you know the, the the species that is going to survive is the one that is most adaptable and yeah. most adaptable to different changes brilliant oh well said yeah i really like that i really like that well, you're thinking about your unborn children already, Seem. That's uh, <laughs> that's very that's very that's very it's very progressive of you. Uh, before I ask the the last question, uh, where can people learn more about you, follow along, and get in touch? Yeah, well, my social media handles are all uh, Seem Lund, S I M Lund, and uh, yeah, my YouTube is also Seem Lund. That's pretty straightforward. Um, your content is phenomenal. I really, really appreciate the time. Um, you probably remember us, remember this from your first appearance on episode 191. But if you would, please fill in the blank and take as much time as you'd like to complete the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing that uh, stress isn't bad 
in uh, in the right amount, <laughs> so that you would uh, you you would always you know the the kind of stigma is about about stress is that it's harmful, uh, and it's super that you want to avoid it all the time. Well, I think that it's uh, stress can be good for you and useful if you uh, know how to take it in the right dose, as well as how to recover from it better. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, you didn't let me down, Seem. I knew that you were gonna you're you were gonna bring the heat, really useful information, people that um, information that people can use, and I'm really grateful. I'm thanks for coming back, and you know now that uh, the Optimal Performance Podcast is mine, all mine, and I can do whatever I want with it. I wanted to make sure to have you back quickly. So, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast.